This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. This is Strange Assembly, episode 118, and Eternity. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. Don't forget to check us out at strangeassembly.com, on iTunes, or on facebook.com slash strangeassembly, or at strangeassembly on Twitter. Here with me today is Brian Reese, the lead designer for the Legend of the Five Rings CCG. Hey, Brian. Hey, Chris. Hey, everyone. And now, since Brian was last on Strange Assembly with us, there have been three of his Ivory Edition designer diaries, the Improvements to the Rulebook Part 2, Design, Inspiration, and Keywords. And I, I believe, Brian, that on the... AEG website or the L5R website, people can go and, and find all of those Ivory Edition design diaries together? Yeah, if you go to um, L5R, if you pull up the products page in Ivory Edition, they'll be there. Uh, you can also go to our YouTube channel, L5R Videos, and they're all up there. Uh, I even have them all on the playlist, so you can just uh, click on the playlist and, and watch me on a loop. <laughs> Well, let's start with the most recent of those, the keywords one. And in the keywords Ivory Edition Designer Diary, you, you talked about changes to Duelist, Cavalry, Naval, and Conqueror. There's a reasonable chance our audience has already heard those, but let's start with Duelist. If I, and I understood correctly, Duelist is losing the whole swapping of cards in the focus pool thing and is just duelists win ties against non-duelists, right? Yeah, yeah, just, uh, yeah, we went with the, with the simpler version of that. Uh, just win ties, that's it. Now, I think the, the question that would then follow up and ask about that, to some extent, isn't even really about the, the keyword, although it's it's prompted by it, is that I think that Pretty obviously, the new implementation of Duelist is a lot more straightforward, a lot easier to remember. But the question it prompts is that, well, dueling was pretty lousy in Emperor Edition, or at least that's certainly the prevailing opinion. And now the Duelist keyword is going to be weaker than it used to be. In light of the weakening of the Duelist keyword, what are you guys going to do differently with dueling to try to make it more relevant for Ivory Edition? So yeah, I mean, you're right in pointing out that um, that dueling has not been spectacular in Emperor Edition. It never really found its legs. There's more environmental factors, uh, in my opinion, than it was necessarily with the mechanics of duelists. Certainly how a duel interacted in the environment, the negative focus effects they had to deal with. Those types of things sort of kept it down in Emperor Edition. In Ivory, uh, obviously, we've got a brand new environment. So negative focus effects is something that we're taking a different angle on. In Ivory Edition, in Emperor, uh, one of the design philosophies we were trying out was um, using negative and positive focus effects to sort of show that tension. Because there's always that issue in dueling, right? Where it's the tension of, we want to make it so you, the duelist player, play dueling stuff to do this, but losing your own duel that you start is such a, a rough situation to be in. Like, if my action comes out, battle, destroy my own personality, your action, <laughs> yeah, that's such a difficult situation to be in. At the same time, bully dueling is the awful situation on the other. So there's this tension, right, where we, you know, where we try to get it to somewhere around, give or take, maybe 90% of the duels, 95% of the duels that you start. Uh, you're going to win. But there is always that chance that at that key moment, uh, your opponent could get lucky and pull off that, that epic come-from-behind duel and beat your clan champion in a duel or whatever. 
So in in Ivory, we are reducing the amount of negative focus effects that you have to do that you have to deal with, and also we're going to uh, make sure there are some decent positive focus effects. You've seen some of them in Aftermath that that a dueling deck will have uh, that will have for its benefit. So if you want to take that chance at focusing this duel out and you think you can win it, go for it. Just know there's a decent chance that you're going to be giving a dueling deck a focus effect or two if they do still wind up winning the duel. Uh, so we're trying the tension in a new way. We're going to try to reduce the amount of negative focus effects that you have to deal with uh, while not taking away that you know that chance that every once in a while your opponent can pull off that epic win and, and be able to knock you out of the duel. And so with this new design philosophy, maybe it's not so much new as, as returning to an old one or trying a new take on an old one. Dueling definitely has taken its proper seat back in Ivory Edition. Dueling is is quite powerful, and we'll get into it more once we get started with, with Ivory Edition. But if I were if I were to be playing in the Kotai season, it's probably the first deck that I would be building to try to win a Kotai with would be Dueling. So it's, it's definitely regaining it, it belongs. It's not going to be invincible, it's not going to be untouchable, but it's certainly back back up into you know the tier one competitive uh, status that it, that it should be. It, it's so ingrained and so important, such a big part of LFR, and such a cool part. Now you mentioned that the the inherent tension in dueling, and yet at the same time the important place that dueling has in the the flavor of LFIR in doing this significant uh, rules updating for Ivory Edition, did you guys ever consider just scrapping dueling that it wasn't worth those mechanical tensions that it causes? It is something that we've considered. I don't know if we specifically considered an ivory, but we were looking at it with Emperor. I think it is so, as I say, just ingrained and important in L5R, and it's so much to the flavor that I really think L5R would be a lot worse off. As you know, I've been a huge champion of uh, making L5R more accessible, um, simplifying it if you want to call it that, to bring it to the masses, so to speak, uh, for ivory edition. So we could change the basic duel, you know, your basic steel on steel to something like, you know, target personality, destroy someone with less chi or equal less if you're a duelist or whatever. And, uh, and most of the time that mechanic would be the same, but it's, there's so much flavor lost there. I really think that L5R would be worse off. As I put it in one of the design diaries, uh, with Ivory Edition, we were really trying to get rid of some of the arcane idiosyncrasies that just existed for no real good reason, such as not being able to split your gold. Right? There's no flavor there, not being able to split your gold. It's just an annoyance. But we didn't want to go that go to that aspect so far to where we lost some of the flavor. And I think there's so much of the flavor of Elf of our ingrained in dueling. Uh, that's just something I wouldn't want to lose. Okay. Uh, I think of one more dueling question now the the part of the duelist keyword that's going away is about messing with your own focus values in your your focus pool one of the complaints that dueling fans have had in emperor edition is that there are so many good cards that are just for focus value and i i think that forgotten legacy in particular had an had a very very high average focus value and there are some military decks where you know you can put together a deck and you know it feels like 75% of it's for focus value what is for, for at least for ivory edition or in general what is the philosophy on assigning focus values to fade cards so yeah so on the focus values um, you know we do have specific costing brackets that we uh, that we adhere to uh, when designing uh, our cards and strategies aren't accepted from that. I think, again, we're talking environmental situations here where Emperor Edition, as you mentioned, the Forgotten Legacy and some others, you know, you just had some really good high focus value cards that just saw a lot of play. And you won't see nearly as much of that because obviously there's not Forgotten Legacy in, <laughs> in Ivory Edition. 
or at least not much of Forgotten Legacy uh, in Ivory <laughs> Edition. There's still a little, a little is held on for eternity. But anyways, you know, we don't just arbitrarily set up the focus values. We do, you know, we do try to make sure that they stay within general costing parameters, make sure that, uh, make sure that they're appropriately costed for what they do, uh, for what the card does, uh, etc. You will certainly be able to build a deck if you want to that is proactively have high focus values. And just further, because we are going to try to make focus values matter. You've seen a bit of it in Aftermath, where you have cards that you discard cards or show cards or whatever and do stuff based on the focus values. So you, we are going, trying to make focus values matter, even if you're not necessarily a dueling deck. That, however, does not mean that standard military deck is just going to build his deck how he normally does. And, oh, look at that, my average focus value is over three. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I, I think that's probably enough chatter on, on dueling. All the non-Crane and Dragon players have probably left by now. So let's get the Unicorn players back and talk about uh, Cavalry. So, right, Cavalry Maneuvers is gone. And the first question, I think you, you posted the full wording on Twitter, but... The wording in the Ivory Edition design diary was a little imprecise. Like, I think you said guy, so I don't know if it's personality or unit, but what is the the exact new wording of this engage ability that is Cavalry now? All right, so, yeah, so Cavalry, the uh, exact wording, and I'm going off my head here, but I'm pretty sure I got it right, is absent engage, target your unbound personality in a Cavalry unit, Cavalry unit, Cav unit. <laughs> In a cav unit at any location. So you can go with a guy that's already been assigned to a different battlefield, a guy that you left at home, whatever. Uh, move him to the current battlefield. Uh, so it does not require opposition. You can move unopposed. You can move into an opposed battle if you want to. You can move from another battlefield. You can move from home. Uh, basically, you move from anywhere you want to the current battle. So you can assign cav guy or cav unit. At one, cav unit at two, then when they defend at two, you can say, okay, I resolve one first and two moves over. Or if you want to go at them, maybe they split their armies to defend half at one, half at two, you say, okay, I'm going to resolve two first, move one over, and now I've been able to uh, send my army against a portion of your army. Much like you could do with the old cav, cav maneuver segment, though people usually didn't. Yeah, the, the, we all know that the common thing that you do. All that uh, cavalry meant before was, where do you assign? Okay, I go over there. <laughs> you know, that was how the first two to three provinces went. Yeah, and now you only, what, you probably only get to take one province like that now? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can usually sleaze one province. Because usually when you, you know, you bring out your first two attackers, they get out the first two defenders, you swing, and they're not going to want to face a one-on-two situation. Uh, so you swing one at one, one at two, uh, they defend wherever they're going to defend then you move to get away from them. And you can usually sleaze one. But after that, you're going to be able to use the mobility of cavalry and the tricks that you get as cavalry in order to create preferable assignments for you. You know, if you, you know, let's say it's a four-on-four battle or whatever, and you send two here and two there, and they split up their armies to, you know, if they defend all at one, well, then you can just sleaze, sleaze one and then just try to eject that one guy that's left up, left behind. But if they split their armies, you know, you try to move all your guys so you get your four guys facing down half their army. It's really I, the unicorn players that are on playtest. I don't want to say universally because I don't want to speak for them, but more or less universally have enjoyed this cab a lot better than the old cab. Uh, it's much more interesting. We actually get to do mobility tricks, which is supposedly what Unicorn's thing has always been, but in reality never has been. And it just creates really, really interesting scenarios. If you look at things like Emperor Edition, let's say you assigned all your guys at one, and they fought and you went and fought off, but at some point you fall back one of your units, or they favor home one of your units, well then you can resolve another battle, and move him back in. So we've seen that time and time again where it's like, okay, I'll send part of my army here, part of my army there. They defending is the part of the army over there. It's like, okay, well, they favor home one guy, whatever happens if the rest of this battle happens. 
Uh, now we go to where I signed the other people. Well, the guy that you favored home can now come right back into the battle, and you still wind up taking that province. And there's a lot of tricks like that that you just simply didn't have uh, under the old cat maneuver segment. There's a lot more interesting for me on both sides of the equation, both to fight against and to fight for, and I'm really happy with where it wound up. And I think unicorn players will be too once you actually get the uh, once you actually get to play and you can start seeing all the things you can do with it, and, and the wheels start clicking, and you you know you're able to actually start. Is is <laughs> It's sort of an interesting thing that unicorn players get to actually start using mobility tricks for the first time in, you know, almost 20 years. The funny thing is that one of the random things I picked out of that, I suppose it wasn't really in any doubt. Nobody had discussed it, but I, I guess I can take it from that discussion of the favor that the favor still is going to work like it did, because that's something that has been changed up over the years. Oh, yeah, Imperial Favor, um, you know, it got changed back at Samurai Edition, and we haven't changed it since. And I think it's in a really good place. Uh, Imperial Favor is not changing, still the same as it was in Samurai Celestial Emperor Ivory. I think it's powerful mechanically. Uh gives you two strong abilities without having to cost any fate side resources. Obviously, the cycling out costs you a fate resource, and then you have to discard in order to draw. But... You know, there actually aren't any resources outside of bowing the guy that you are losing in order to pick up these pretty powerful abilities. So we're very happy with where it is. Um, I, I don't foresee it changing. Uh, but I didn't foresee us getting away from the bamboo harvester border keep system. So who knows? <laughs> uh, okay, the the third keyword that was talked about was naval. Uh, I, I haven't really seen any shock or surprise about this naval had to change to some extent because the concept of performing went away and then before you even posted the design diary i think one of the distributors accidentally posted a some ivory edition previews a month early so we had seen what the reminder text was on naval i guess beyond what was said in the design diary did you have anything you wanted to add about naval based on you what you'd seen about players responses um, again, Naval's one of the things is pretty, you know, ingrained into who the Mantis are, same as, uh, Cavalry's been ingrained, uh, into Unicorn. And so, you know, we didn't, we didn't want to lose that, as you mentioned, because performing was going away, we had to do something with it. And you basically sacrificed being able to play a strategy from your hand, uh, Navally, to, has to come from the unit, but it means you can now do it from a follower. Uh, where before, because of the weird performing stuff, a guy performed his items but didn't perform his followers, so he couldn't do it with the followers. Uh, which certainly any of the old man as commanders know how frustrating that can be. I mean, I think we even designed a, a man as commander at one point who said, naively, take additional action from your follower. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of a weird thing to write on a card. You know, naval taking additional action. Well, you wrote a card that was almost exactly that. Give your guy plus one force. Take an additional action. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, was that? No, that wasn't Beachhead. That was something else. Uh, aggressive yeah, Assault? Aggressive, yeah. Something like that. Maybe Beachhead was the playtest name, yeah. Ag- yeah. Aggressive Landing. Yeah, I mean, that was basically... T- that was turn naval into sneak attack. We saw how much that got played. <laughs> but yeah, so, so you're, you're doing, you're doing the, the takeoff of you lose the strategies... But you gain the ability to do it from the followers. Obviously, Mantis, a few Mantis players are bemoaning this fact a little because you lose the surprise factor. For people who are on the other side, uh, specifically, you know, honor players, so Crane, your Phoenix, um, certain varieties of Dragon, uh, and others hate Naval. <laughs> you know, they, they hate this, uh, well, if I want to be able to defend, I need to send two guys there because odds are you're going to Navally kill the first one. And that still could very well be true, but at least at this point, I get to see what you have out on the board, so I at least have some information. You're still going to naval hurt me, uh, and that's still going to be really bad. But at least at this point, I get to see how you're going to hurt me, and I can play around that a little bit. So I at least get to lower the bad somewhat. And I'm not sure that Mantis players fully recognize just how annoying it is to be on the other side of the table, where you get... You know, you get sneak attack, which is really powerful, just for uh, for more or less for free, right? You don't you don't have, for free in the sense that you don't have to use a fate card out of your hand. And spending fate card resources is going to be a much more 
valuable thing in Ivory Edition than it was in Emperor Edition. In Emperor Edition, it wasn't uncommon. Where it's like, okay, well, fought a big battle, and I got down two cards in my hand. Well, I'm going to play a game of dice, so I'm down to one. I'm going to Bamboo Harvester, and then I'm going to Peddler. Uh, and then, you know, maybe I have a card and play a Ring of Void or a guy or something that draws a card. And by the end of the turn, I'm back up to six, seven cards. Uh, that thing is, you know, that type of thing is almost non-existent in Ivory Edition. When you get down to two cards, there are going to be ways to get back. But it's not not going to be this just explosion that you had in Emperor Edition. So, I mean, that was that was a little bit of a digression there. But point being that you don't have to use a sneak attack. You just get it ingrained on your person. Is really it's more powerful in ivory than that was in Emperor Edition. And then there's been a few counterbalances, such as not being able to use the strategy of your hand has to come from the unit. But the counterbalance of that is you now get followers. So uh, naval's still really good, and I still really hate seeing seeing naval. You know when I'm playing Scorpion Dishonor, <laughs> but it's a reality that I have to deal with. You know I hate seeing Cap when I'm playing against a Unicorn, and I hate seeing. High personal honor when I hate when a, a lion is attacking me and whatnot. So, okay, the the final keyword that you talked about in the most recent design diary is conqueror, and I think that that's the one that has uh, oddly enough, as you see, yeah, it, it's not one of the nerfs that has generated the most, I guess, possible. Uh, what are they doing? Comments. It's been the improvements to conquer which uh now it seems to me at least to be much stronger than it was before so i I do have one clarification i I just wanted to make sure when your when your personality has conqueror is it his entire unit doesn't bow to battle resolution or is it just the guy yeah just the personalities will ever have conquer and then they affect the cards in the unit so only your dude and you've seen an aftermath where there's like a commander steed is the name uh, where it's a follower that gives Conqueror to the guy, then that guy protects that whole unit, protects us in the right way, but you know what I mean, uh, affects that whole unit. So if the guy is bowed, but the attachments are all straightened, that's how they come home, with straightened attachments and a bowed guy. And if you know one of his three attachments is bowed, but everything else is straightened, that one attachment comes home bowed, everything else comes home straightened, it just comes home as is. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it certainly, it certainly got a step up in our desire to make, uh, to make Ivory more accessible, uh, easier to learn. This Conqueror is much simpler than the other Conqueror. The other Conqueror also lost its timing window because there is no more reaction after this battle ends timing window. So something had to be done there. Which is sort of interesting because as you mentioned, a lot of people foresaw the naval thing coming. But it seems like the Conquerors has caused pe- caught people off guard, yet reactions don't exist anymore, and you can't interrupt a battle ending. You only interrupt actions. So, you know, this one was also telegraphed that something was going to have to change. Uh, but anyway, it is certainly taking taking the next step up, uh, which I think is sort of good, because I don't, you know, I tell me if you disagree, but I don't think that it really ever did did enough for clans to go in second. Specifically, you're looking at Spider here, but not not solely, though, to help them get back into the game. You know, they were still quite a bit of a detriment that they always went second, and unless you were Spider Ninja in Emperor Edition, there wasn't much of a game for you. Certainly the, the mid-game attachment uh, Spider decks never really got off the ground. Kensei had some success, but not a whole lot. Usually it was better to put those weapons on Ninja or even just play your Kensei box, your Kensei deck out of the ninja box. Certainly, Conquerors never did anything worthwhile that I'm that I'm remembering. It's kind of hard to assess Conqueror. How, like, how, how was Conqueror in Emperor Edition? Because Conqueror was there was some more spread at the end, but for the most part, Conqueror was synonymous with Spider Commanders, and Spider Commanders were god awful. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So certainly, I mean, how much yeah, how much of that can you attribute to Conqueror and how much of that can you contribute to Spider Commanders? And yeah, I mean that that is a very good valid point. But you're gonna see Conqueror spread around a little bit more. It's still going to be heavy within the Spider clan, as opposed to specifically like Spider con- uh, commanders. But you will you know, we've seen a lion that has it uh now in the summer compact. Uh there's a 
a dragon in Aftermath, or was it the Gates of Chaos dragon inside the god? Uh, I think it was Gates of Chaos. I think Gates. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's like a 2-3 for 5 Conqueror, yeah. something like that. Yeah, so you will see it spread out a little bit more, and it certainly is a little bit more powerful. Um, but, you know, all keywords have their costs on what they increase the guy's costs. Um, so we can put powerful keywords on people as long as they're costed appropriately. Uh, and Conquerors conquerors are good to have in Ivory Edition, but they're certainly not running roughshod over the field, uh, which would indicate to me that, that the cost is, you know, at least in the right ballpark. You know, it, it's, not, it's not going to create this issue of, um, yeah, I'm lying and I've got this all conqueror army. Because one, I mean, it's just sort of it's it's okay to have online sometimes, but as far as the flavor of the line, it's not really their deal. Like once they come over and destroy you, you know, they're really good at attacking. They don't care as much about defending. <laughs> so I don't really care if you come home and and destroy my peasants. Uh, whatever, they're peasants. <laughs> just means there's less of you for me when I come back next turn. Uh, the peasants serve their job. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned the cost of the keywords. I mean, how much do keywords tend to cost? I, I know I, I tried to look at that when people were talking about the cavalry tax and you know, cavalry still requires a cavalry unit, and do you have to pay the cavalry tax again because you're buying the followers? And I tried to look at the cavalry personalities with the you know the very limited number of ivory legal things and be like so how much does cavalry seem to sort of cost but then i i you know there are things like it's a crab guy who's got three fours he costs four and he's cavalry and i'm like well cavalry seems to be free on this guy yeah so i mean it's tough to try to decipher i I imagine it'd be very difficult to try to decipher on your end of things especially (laughs) because it seems like basically no one gets it right like i've definitely seen people uh, attempting to figure out what it is. And, you know, we've always costed stuff appropriately, uh, or costed stuff. I shouldn't use the word appropriately because we've definitely missed here and there. But, we, you know, we've always cost things for a reason and costed, you know, force and all the and keywords and abilities and all this stuff. Uh, but we're certainly, with Ivory Edition, we've tried to focus that even more to where, you know, you're costed based on your honor requirement, you, you cost your personal honor, cost the chi, uh, and not that these things weren't costed before, but, you know, they weren't necessarily hard rules as opposed to, well, this guy seems like he's a little bit more, you know, it was more art and less science. So now it's sort of been this idea for a while that that lion just sort of gets three personal honor because they're lion and battle man and similar. And there's some other people and, and spider and scorpion get ones and zeros just because they're spider and scorpion. And, well, you know, that's just life. Deal with it. You don't get any benefit. Which is certainly something uh, with Ivory Edition uh, we have worked to rectify. So, you know, when Spider get, you know, when you see a guy, whether it's Spider or anyone, that has zero personal honor, you know, has low personal honor, has low chi, uh, you know, fake card with a low focus value or whatever, it is getting a refund, so to speak, for having that inferior stat. Uh, and likewise, uh, or on the flip side of that, the corollary is, you know, when you get to see a guy with a good, with a high chi, with a high personal honor, that is something that that personality is paying for. You know, if you want to call it a tax or whatever, tax just makes it sound worse because <laughs> people hate taxes, but it's just part of the costing yeah. structure. Then there are other things because the abilities come into it, and then there are other various factors that all play into it. Like once you pay so much for abilities and once you get this and you get that, then the costing stuff starts to change because it's not just a linear thing. You don't just start at one and, and figure out as things get higher. For example, force is cheaper at the lower levels and more expensive at the higher levels. So once you get into five force or six force, you know, you're paying a lot more for that jump from four to five force than you are, say, from one to two force. Just because again in Ivory Edition, it is force is such a big deal. Range attacks and melee attacks and fear effects are some of your your most potent, most uh prevalent abilities that all scale on force. So it's you know, it's relatively easy to hit, say, two guys that have three force each, but to take down a six force guy is not nearly as easy. You know, I might have a couple fear threes just sort of lying about, but I'm not going to have, like, odds are I won't have a fear six just lying about. I'm probably going to have to do something to reduce your force first in order to let me get in there and take care of you. So, uh, so it's, it's, it's really, like, I don't think it's probably even possible to get necessarily an accurate 
idea on your end of things. Um, and certainly, yeah, I'm sure you guys love the uh, trust us. We got this right explanation, but uh, it would necessarily involve some sort of judgment calling because it's not like I I don't know how you could have a a precise precise costing for abilities given how varied they could be and. I'm yeah, also I mean, going to go out yeah. on a limb and say that sometimes you deviate from your chart. Yeah, I mean you have general, yeah, you have general guidelines, right? It's really easy to to cost things that have numerical values in it, right? Like the difference between a fear two and a fear three is really easy, but you know what's the difference in costing of straighten this guy versus straighten that guy, or you know straighten this guy versus your hand size is plus one. Uh, so yeah, what, I mean, what we have set out is guidelines, uh, and then and then certainly have to follow. And as you say, sometimes you know we go outside if there's a good reason for it. You know, if if deck A is you know performing poorly and we want to do something to help them out, well, maybe when we give them some cards in the next set, you know, maybe we will give them an extra whatever for free to give them a more powerful personality to try to step them up to the level where the rest are to try to get them back into the competitive scene. Which, again, makes it just that much more difficult for you guys to try to figure out, because then, obviously, then that guy becomes the bar by which everything is measured. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, well, this is no fair that, you know, we got this. Look at that guy over there. <laughs> uh, yeah. This, yeah. He got this, and it's so much better. Boo, I say. Boo. Okay, uh, I think that that is is everything from the uh, keywords thing, and I and I'd like to go back to design inspiration. I'd like to go back to the design inspiration, Ivory Edition Designer Diary. Not that there's the same sort of mechanical crunchiness in there, but I think there were a a couple things that were worth touching on. The second of which is more serious, and the first of which is more silly. So I'm correct in identifying the two design principles you are not embodying are being long-lasting and environmentally friendly? <laughs> well, I mean, certainly the long-lasting can apply to L5R, like, in general, <laughs> but it's sort of hard when you put a bug on it and say it is going to last this this long. And then the environmentally friendly is just something that doesn't quite as well apply to the type of stuff that we're talking about here, um, right? I mean, when Dieter when Dieter wrote them for Braun, you know, that's a very real thing, you know. But uh, big stacks of cardboard just aren't. It's not quite the same. I suppose we could apply it if we want like pure digital or something like that. Biodegradable yeah. cards, yeah. Yeah, biodegradable. <laughs> Actually, they probably are biodegradable, but uh, yeah. Okay, but the the, the real thing uh, was that I thought it might be interesting for the audience to see something, or here, I guess, something like the design principles in action. And so I, I'd ask you to pick out a card. It's something that's in Aftermath, so it's something we've already seen that you thought embodied these design principles in action and, and how you how it was designed and how you came about things. And, and so why don't you go ahead and uh, let me know which cards you picked and how you think that that fits into the at least the, the 8 to 10 design principles. Uh, sure. So, I mean, one of my favorite cards from Aftermath is Planted Evidence. Being a control player, I just like it because I've missed that that card. But to show how they uh, apply to uh, the design rules, I guess we'll just run down in order. You know, design should be genuine. Um, I think that the mechanics of that card are probably very, you know, are very genuine to what the ninja do. Uh, they kill things and then blame it on others. Uh, yeah, that's sort of their the reason for their existing. Uh, well, the killing things sometimes using it as evidence for other people. It should be intuitive. Uh, again, the card makes sense. Like the intuitive part is when you get done reading a card, it should do exactly what you presume that it does. 
and not have some sort of weird interaction like, okay, yeah, this card works this way. And then you find out when you go to play it in a tournament that due to weird rules loophole A and in section 36D of the penal code, uh, you know, that it actually winds up having this different interaction that you weren't expecting. Uh, Pane- you know, that stupid Panecki's mass combo would be an example of, <laughs> of unintuitiveness. Everybody knows what Panecki's mass combo should have done, but just because the way it worked, it didn't work the way it was supposed to, and, and all hell broke loose. Uh, the design should be concise. So, I mean, this is a little bit longer of a card and planted evidence, but it's not terribly long, and it's concise to the effects that it wants to do. It kills, is a little bit better if you have ninjas, and you lose honor. If it's, uh, you know, you lose honor based on how honorable you were, because, you know, it's sort of expected of Spider or Scorpion or even Mantis to do these kind of underhanded tactics. It's really bad if you're Lion and you're caught doing this, or Phoenix. You know, you're supposed to be above this. This isn't who you are. And if you look at some of the cards, I will be concise. I will not be concise on this part about being concise. But if you look at some of the cards from the past, um, you know, when I first joined the the design team, Cons Defiance, uh, you look at some of the cards in Cons Defiance, uh, and they were definitely not concise. Like a card did something and then gave you a second option. And then depending on what you did on that option, it did a third or fourth thing. And basically, like, a lot of Const Defiance cards I describe as they were just, like, three sentences too long. (laughs) (laughs) Just three sentences too long. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, do X. All right, and the card would have been fine if you just left it there. But then it all says, your opponent may do Y. If he did do Y, then do Z. If he did not do Y, then do AA. You know, whatever. So even if the text is a little bit longer like it is on the site, it's still concise to what the mechanics do. It doesn't just run on and on and on. Design should be innovative. You know, again, this is not something that you would necessarily apply to every single card as opposed to the set. So the set of Aftermath, we really wanted to show that um, with Ivory Edition, we weren't shying away from keeping the game interesting. Uh, you know, some people pointed out that in the past, uh, after the power level of an arc, uh, specifically Jade and Lotus, got too much, they were followed up by some of the safest, uh, and what some people would describe as most boring arcs, which would, which of Gold and Samurai Edition. The Samurai Edition is certainly looked back on fondly, but it was certainly a safe arc. There wasn't anything that got necessarily too outside the box in Samurai Edition. Uh, we wanted to show an aftermath that we were trying, while that pendulum was certainly swinging back on the power level, we weren't trying to go so far with it that we were going to then have a boring arc and ivory edition. And I think I think ivory has done that, and planted evidence is one of the cards that show that. Design should be desirable. Well, I would like to think that, you know, a new Colot assassin is desirable. I mean, it's tough to say no to limited phase action kill. And design should be useful. Uh, again. Uh, I will leave it up to the players, but I'm sure that there will be many of players who could find a use for this. <laughs> Design should be thorough. And so this is sort of the uh, the antithesis of the concise. Uh, they go together, but they sort of go together from opposite angles. And then it needs to be thorough. So I think if the card didn't come with an honor loss, for example, then it wouldn't be thorough. Because it wouldn't, it wouldn't do everything that you would expect a card like this to do. But certainly... It's thorough, in my opinion, on the mechanics. But then also you get it on the art and on the story, uh, on the on the name side of it. You see not only that ninja killed guy A, but you see the next step, and obviously whatever this plan is that's being hatched, in that ninja killed this guy, and then this guy is being stuffed in someone else's room. And this evidence is being planted to further on some bigger plot. And then the last one... Design should follow the principle, less is more. I would like to think that in Aftermath, and you'll see it again in Ivory Edition, that we try to keep from having the run-on sentences. So there's certainly, we could have added more onto this card if we'd wanted to. You know, we could have put stuff on there about what's now going to happen to said person who is now, who now has this dead body stuffed in his room. 
uh, you know, it could have something about, you know, if you control a courtier, you may target and dishonor personality. But again, the less is more, the staying concise uh, was a principle we wanted to apply to this. I, I, th- I think that we we did a good job there being thorough with everything the card should do, but not not taking it too far. Okay. Now, I wanted to ask you about, I guess, something in the vein of these design principles and something that, I guess, to me, seems kind of missing the mark and, and see what you thought about that. You've probably already seen this because I know you read the AEG forums and that recently there was the preview of the follower rice farmer and then the personality armed rice farmer, two promos right next to each other. And the first thing that struck me about those cards is that the peaceful rice farmer sitting in his field and then the Ashigaru armed rice farmer that clearly says armed on it and is a much more menacing picture. That guy seems like he should be much tougher than just the normal rice farmer, but the rice farmer, in fact, has twice as much force as the armed rice farmer. And I I looked at it and I'm like, well, this seems like a failure of, I I don't know, genuineness in design or whatever the the thing is. So how did those cards end up in, in a way that seems so incongruous, at least to me? Perhaps you don't agree that there's any, that there's an incongruity there. Well, I mean, there's probably a degree of truth to what you say. Uh, you know, maybe we should have looked at doing the armed rice farmer with two force instead. Uh, what we were trying to show with the, with the lower force there and the cheap is that this dude is out of his element. He's trying to show the difference between he's in his field, you know, with his sickle or whatever and, and cutting his wheat versus, okay, guess what? You are now in an army, and I know that you've never fought before, but we're going to give you a half a day training, and we're going to give you this pole arm, and we're going to uh, send you into battle. So, you know, he's out of his element once he goes into there. And, you know, maybe they should have been, you know, similar forces. Uh, Realistically, uh, the follower version actually probably should have been zero force. But a zero force follower that's zero gold and is karmic or something... You know, just doesn't have any actual mechanical game appeal. So this is one where maybe uh, the mechanics of the game uh, sort of took one away, and and the, the a little bit of the flavor took one for the team there. Because yeah, in reality, probably the while he's in the field, he should be zero four, zero gold, and not do anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, open, provide food for some troops. You could bow for a Koku because the fate cards that produce Koku are being so well received this this set. <laughs> they do love expanding the gardens. So I mean, I, yeah, I guess we can follow up on expanding the gardens. That was a specific card in aftermath that that got some attention. And I don't know if you had anything else that you wanted to to say. I mean, it's a it's a fate card that provides an an early game, but not turn one gold boost. Uh, and if you recall correctly, my comment was that I was I was surprised that you had put that card in Aftermath, not because it seemed that it was too powerful in and of itself, but that it just it had bad optics. Was the I believe the phrase I used since uh, there had been sufficient troubles with gold boosts in Emperor Edition. Uh, so, did you have anything you wanted to add about that? Or sure, I mean people remember the ones where they went where they're problematic but sort of gloss over the gold boosts or the free cards or free stuff or whatever you want to call it. That mm-hmm. will fine. You know, uh, Temple to Fudo, the one that came out in Seeds of Decay, was a free one that produced two gold and lost you some honor, but it didn't straighten until your, until your third turn. That was more than fine. It never created any issues at all, even though. And this idea of Free is bad, and it is always bad, and when will design team learn this? You know, that would be a perfect example of free is bad and is always bad. But the reality is that that's just not true. And as I mentioned uh, before, the cost of a fake card is a significant cost, and I don't think people will probably truly understand that until they play Ivory Edition and really truly see not only 
cost of losing that one fake card then, but the cost of then later uh, drawing it uh, and having more or less blank cards in your hand when you go into those important battles, just how big of a cost that truly is. So I'm not trying to say expanding the card is a bad card. Far from it, but it's probably going to be the most overrated card from Aftermath when you see it with Ivory Edition. So I think this would be the card, you know, if, if I ever want to in the future, that I, I could go back and point at a thread and say, look guys, you way overreacted last time. We tried to come in and explain how it wasn't, you know, how it was going to be fine. We tried to explain it and we weren't listened to then. This time, will you listen to us? Yeah, this would probably be the thread that I go back in and uh, point to because uh, it just really is not an issue. Like, there aren't many issues in Ivory Edition. There are always going to be different power level discrepancies on the cards, and there, there are certainly some cards from Aftermath where you could go through and say, well, this one's above the curve. But expanding the gardens is definitely not one of those. And again, what it's doing is it's giving a slight economic boost, which can lead to a long-term game, uh, gain, but isn't really creating anything. And people are highly, highly, highly undervaluing the cost of that fate slot and the cost of playing the card and the cost of drawing later versions in the game that now more or less don't do anything or don't, you know, at least don't have enough relevance. Okay, now expanding, since I think this is the the best time to ask about it. Now, expanding the gardens, like I said, I I, I was surprised to see it because I figured there would be more of a deliberate backing off of anything that even whipped in that direction, not because I, I look at it and think it was an inherently problematic card. In fact, I could still, you know, if you go back to the start of Emperor, I I never would have thought that one Koku, which is a better card than that, would have gotten banned. But but there is a card in Aftermath that I I guess I do have a power level problem with because Yoritomo Yashinko seems ridiculously good. Yeah, I mean she is she is really good. Certainly in Emperor Edition when she only costs you two gold as a Mance player. <laughs> she's really she's really good. And Ivory with her costing four and then an Emperor or excuse me, and then six out of clan. At the six out of clan, she's not even consideration at a six for three well that's not actually necessarily true she's not a consideration but six for three buying a dude out of clan it hasn't been an issue thus far so unless blade test has just all completely missed it which i'd be pretty surprised about it hasn't really been an issue and at the because she produces three she works well with the three gold production uh gold scheme so playing three for threes and one for ones uh, but she does not work particularly well, or at least as well, excuse me, with the 4 for 4 and 2 for 2 production. So it's not quite the same as it was in the old, and it hasn't really been an issue. It's not like the old Yashinko where she was just nuts, and it was really stupid, you know. Costing 7 and producing 6 was much different than costing 4 and producing 3. So she certainly is good. And as I mentioned, you know, in Aftermath, we wanted to show that, yes, the pendulum is swinging back, but we are not so scared of anything. You know, we we are aware on how to take measured steps that, you know, that we're not going to touch anything. So, you know, I could understand where you might have expected that we wouldn't touch anything with any sort of gold acceleration at all. And everything will always follow this linear path of turn one, you produce four gold. And turn two, you produce eight gold and so on and so forth. But, you know, we want to show that we are willing to at least look at it in smart measured approaches. And expanding the gardens, uh, and Yashinko would be, you know, would be versions of it. Yashinko with, in the old rules of the clan discounts, and, you know, you paid what you saw if you were buying out of clan, she would po- probably be a problem because she would be a four for three for everyone. But since she's only that four for three in Mantis, it just has not, has simply not been an issue thus far. I think I would have to dispute your notion of, to some extent, of that what makes something a, a problem. I mean, to say that, oh, it would be a problem if everyone got access to this overpowered card because there wasn't this clan discount, but it's okay as long as only one clan gets it. I, I'm not sure how that makes it all right. And and the other thing is, I, 
I would agree that expanding the gardens is measured, but I I don't. How is Yashinko measured? I mean, when I look at Yashinko, worst case scenario, she's a one gold holding that produces three, which seems vastly better than anything else as far as permanent gold production. Or am I? I mean, what what am I missing in that? Right? You would you ever print the, just a holding that was pay one produce three Mantis Clan only? Well, no, cause, but it's certainly different. As I mentioned, it's the gold scheme that it fits into, right? If she, if you're paying, playing the four for four and two for two gold scheme, then she's sort of only producing two, and again, it's only only on that uh, that first turn where she goes, yeah, where she really gets you a nice accelerated start. But if you buy her and then all you have in your provinces is four for fours. Well, then actually you're not even going to buy her. You're just going to buy your Nexus Alive or whatever. Or if you buy her and you, and you buy a, uh, and you buy two for two, it's similar to, had you just, she basically just, uh, a, a fourth claim holding. And that's why I say where it's, it's not as big of a problem because it's in Mantis because other clans get good, better use of the three for three, one for one scheme. Where Mantis tends to more like the four for four use game. You know, they have that Saruchi that came out in Aftermath who's, you know, you pay two gold and, and you get a force. And they have some other stuff that sort of encourages to go down that scheme. And she doesn't, she's a little bit clunky with that scheme. Does that make sense? But say like Lion or say a different, I mean, she wouldn't be boxable in Lion, but you know, some of these other clients, if she was that for everyone, say she was unaligned, right, so she was four for three for everyone, then you do get these clans where they work really well with the three for three and one for one scheme, her value goes up. So does that make sense why she, you know, why the value of her and Mantis versus other clans isn't just a uh, across the board type deal? That that makes sense, although I'm still very skeptical about that card. Sure, but I mean, if yeah. if you buy her, if you get her turn one, I mean, because obviously we're talking about just getting her turn one, and one of the problems with the old Yashinko is you actually had two copies in your deck, because you had that event that you could go buy her with. Um, no, no, yeah, I mean, like, it, clearly, this personality in Emperor Edition, or the old personality, were much better in Clan, because those were, you got an extra gold this turn, and it permanently increased your, your gold. I mean, she's not that level of ludicrous. She just... See, I mean, she... For the most part, she isn't... Unlike something like Expanding the Garden, she isn't sacrificing very much now to give you a, a permanent boost. I, I can... I mean, you're, you're correct that if you have a 4 for 4 scheme and you've got a bunch of 4-cost holdings, you're just not going to buy her turn 1. In, in, in similar fashion, that's why, I mean, I compared it to a 1-cost holding that produces 3. If you had a, an opening flip that had a four for four holding and a one for three holding, and those were your holding options. You're never going to buy the one cost holding because that would be the only thing you would get to get, and and the other one is is better. So it's just why I, if it turns out that Mantis is just doesn't really want to run anything but a bunch of four cost holdings, I can then yeah, that would restrict her her impact, but. Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, it certainly, yeah, I, I probably shouldn't put it that way, and that Mantis only wants to run that scheme, because there will be plenty of Mantis decks and people who, I'm sure, like the 3 for 3 and 1 for 1 scheme. But it's only in that scheme where she really shines in the 4 for 4, 2 for 2 scheme. At best, she's more or less a fourth clan holding that's slightly better, because you get a core to your body out of it, instead of just another Kabuna core. But is worse than that you don't get a port, which actually is going to have relevance during Ivory Edition. Unlike Emperor, where it's been completely irrelevant that something's <laughs> open. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Emperor Edition, I don't think there's anything that cares about having markets. Oh, no. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so oftentimes she just is working out as a, uh, I don't even know if I'd even call it slightly improved, because as you say, like, not being a port is relevant. But, you know, just a fourth clan holder, which is good. Like, I, I'm not trying to say that she's not good. She is good. But it's not, like, I think the name Yashinko just brings this fear of, from anyone who played in Lotus Edition. That I, I'm not sure 
works out in reality. Now, if you're running a three for three and one for one scheme, and you get that draw where she shows up with a three for three holding, well, that's pretty sexy. But <laughs> with her being unique, you only you see at most eight cards on your first turn. It's not like the other border keeper; you can see twelve cards. It's not something you're going to build a scheme on. It'll be something that'll be nice when it pops up once in a while. But. Okay, then uh, let's skip back a little bit further in time. There was a good amount of stuff in the improving the rulebook to design diary, but that was uh, a while ago now. I think a, over a month ago now, and I think a lot of that's been covered in there. There wasn't a lot of uh, controversy, but I, I did have one question on that, which I guess is similar to the question I asked about dueling earlier, is that only recently was the concept of melee attacks added to L5R, and I it, it felt like there was an intention to try to differentiate these. And when it was introduced, there were a handful of cards that treated them differently. I think archery range and sniping only affected ranged attacks, and they didn't affect melee attacks. But it, it seemed like as time went on, that tended to go away. And most of the cards that stopped or reduced or improved or otherwise dealt with one of those kinds of attacks dealt with the other, and that there was not really a distinctive design space created for them. And then, I mean, of course, inherently, mechanically, they're the same thing, except you can't combine them together. Why did you stick with using both melee and ranged, and are there any plans in Ivory Edition to distinguish how those two mechanics tend to to work in play? Yeah, I mean, for the most part... The stuff that metas them, that deals with them, helps protect you from them, will deal with both at the same time. Because when you're dealing with, you know, when you're dealing with having to put meta into your deck, you don't want to have to say, okay, well, I've got meta for range attacks, but if they have melee attacks, then I don't have anything, right? Because they, they are, you know, almost the same as you point out. But the things that bonus them will generally be more split, and you will see plenty of things that just affect range attacks or just affect melee attacks. Now, I know, obviously, we just had Unholy Strike in Aftermath, which more or less bonus both types. And we certainly could have made two cards there, you know, Arrows from the Woods and Unholy Strike or whatever, where Unholy Strike only went after melee attacks. But Unholy Strike is a really powerful card in Ivory Edition, we simply just don't want decks to be able to run six copies of it. Because certainly just the Melee 2 or Range 2 is a very solid aspect of it. So it's something we only want decks to be able to run potentially three copies of. But you will see down in the future where you'll see things where they, you know, you know, an archery range type thing where, you know, it's a guy practicing at the archery range and is going to bonus his range decks. As for the, you know, potentially set, uh, not separate, uh, putting them back together, it's really annoying. <laughs> The reason why we created it in the first place was it was really annoying to want to make a range deck, basically. You know, kill a follower, a guy without followers with XLS Force, and not have it be an archer, right? Have it be a monk punching someone, or have it be a katana slicing through someone, or what have you. And so our only option at that point was either to write a range attack on this katana, which makes zero sense, or to ride it out longhand on this katana, which is really frustrating in what the game had for years, which is the big reason why we actually created melee attacks, and, and I like them, and I want to keep them, because you get you definitely get much different flavors between the two. You know, there's maybe an argument to be made to drop the, drop the notion of melee or rage and just say, you know, attack three or something like that. But I do think that, that there's a, there is a good flavor when you uh, uh, flavor differential there, uh, whether or not you're a Saruchi archer firing from a distance, or whether you're a crab, you know, picking them up and using them as a weapon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I like the idea of a Saruchi archer equipping a bow onto him and then being able to come to for a range attack while not having to deal with that bow going on to a crab berserker and, you know, being able to 
pick up your opponent, use them as a weapon, and then combine that with the bow you're holding in your hand. <laughs> it's just it. That's weird. <laughs> uh, so the, I mean, the big difference to to have those split is is just to show the differential in flavors between the two. Now, I, I I think that that's everything that I had on the design diaries before we went on to the the juicy part, maybe, of this podcast for the people who have waited for it. But did you have anything else that you wanted to add in about any of those three design diaries? Uh, I think we were able to cover the stuff that, that people have been talking about. So I think we're good. Okay. So the last thing that we're going to talk about is the Eternity Bugged cards. Uh, for those people who, the three of you who are listening who, who don't remember, those were, there were six cards that were put in Forgotten Legacy that were given the Eternity Bug, which meant that they were going to be legal for Celestial Edition and Emperor Edition, and then whatever the unspecified edition was that, that came after that, that has ended up being Ivory Edition. And, so there have been a lot of questions about what are going to happen with those cards. Two of them were versions of Border Keep and Bamboo Harvesters that just don't work at all with the current rules. Two of them, uh, at least two of them, a game of dice and creating order were extremely powerful cards in Emperor Edition and would be really bonkers in, in Ivory Edition. And then obviously, even without the comes into play thing, the border keep and bamboo harvesters XP would be insane if they just could be used as normal old holdings in, in ivory edition. So a lot of people have wondered what is going to to happen with these cards and how they're going to be fit into ivory edition. And I think Brian, uh, you are now going to finally burst that curiosity bubble. Yes, uh, the big reveal. Drum roll, please. So, of the six Eternity Bug cards from Forgotten Legacy, the two non-unique ones are not changing. Technically, actually, the um, entrenched position is being updated to be an engage action, but the mechanics are staying the same. The four unique cards are going to get MRPs. The Border Keep and Bamboo Harvesters will just be going into your deck like any other holding, but they are being MRP to three gold apiece. So they're going to be three for two holdings with their current mechanics as you see them. Border keep losing the, the well, the border keep ability <laughs> of, uh, of going through your provinces because that only works on the first turn, so obviously that's irrelevant uh, since it is not going to be in play and straightened on your first turn. So you'll still have the put three fake cards at the bottom, draw three. Uh, Bamboo Harvester, still the Draw a card if you now have six or more. Just hard. Uh, they're both going to cost three gold and just go into your deck proper. Game of Dice, again, will have the same mechanics, but it too is going to cost three gold. So those three cards are just getting MRP'd to have a three gold cost. And Creating Order is going to be MRP'd to targeting one unit instead of one or two. So again, it'll do the same of getting either straightening the unit or getting rid of the force bonuses and penalties. Uh, but you're only getting it on one unit instead of two. It is not getting a gold cost, so it will remain free. So there you go. Okay. Now you're saying an MRP, so are those going to be released as promo versions, or are they in Ivory Edition? Or Yeah, we have a little promo pack that includes ten copies. You have one of each of the unique cards for four cards, and then three of each of the two non-uniques, so a total of ten. 10 cards. They will be in a little promo pack that uh, they have alternate art. They have new art on them. They got the Ivory Edition promo borders. And uh, we are still working on the distribution method. Which, Well, we're still working on announcing a distribution method, I should say. Uh, so we will be announcing how they will be distributed, but they will be distributed uh, before aftermath tournaments begin. But uh, yes, they will be in their own little promo pack. So for those of you who are new to the game, uh, you are not going to have to go back and buy a $75 or whatever Forgotten Legacy. These six Eternity cards just by themselves in a little pack. Okay, well that's uh, very cool to hear. I think I'm still going to be writing Creating Order in Ink 
on my deck lists. <laughs> uh, <laughs> gotta think about the other ones, but uh, I'm 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 pretty sure that uh, just just battle open straight in a unit is better than anything we've seen in Ivory Edition. Uh, create, yeah, I mean, creating order is still going to be powerful. And if I had my druthers, it wouldn't be an ivory edition. But we made the problem, so it's an ivory edition, and uh, we're just working around it. But yeah, it certainly still is pretty powerful. Okay. Well, I think that that's uh, all I have today. So I just wanted to say uh, thank you, Brian, for coming on to talk about Legend of the Five Rings and uh, the upcoming ivory edition, which I, I know we at Strange Assembly are very excited to get our little pause on well thank you for having me and i'm excited to get your pause on it <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks to brian reese the lead designer for the legend of the five rings ccg i'm chris stevenson and you've been listening to strange assembly check us out at strangeassembly.com or subscribe to the podcast on itunes we always like to hear feedback. You can send me emails at chris at strangeassembly.com or visit us at facebook.com strangeassembly or at strangeassembly on Twitter. And until then, never stop gaming. <laughs>